Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. In our series addressing the crucial importance of passing our faith on to our children, we will today examine the third part in a mini-theme looking at generational strongholds. Specifically, we will shift from the defensive weapons against the attacks of evil and instead we will focus on offense. Thanks for joining us as we challenge ourselves to share the story of God's redemption in a way that leads our kids to trust in God alone. Well, I remember when I was uh, entering uh, high school, uh, the, the most popular thing that you could do as a young man is try out for the, for the JV basketball team. Seemed like every boy in my whole class was trying out for the basketball team. And I remember uh, the coach that we had was a, was a brand new coach. He was, he was a, bit of a bit of a stickler, this guy. He, he, was, he was one of these old, salty, seasoned upers, you know, just kind of hard-knuckled and, and put the nose to the grindstone. And here before him was on the, on the uh, end line of the gym what appeared to be 50 boys. And he had to whittle that team down to, you know, 12, give or take. So I remember he would uh, have us on the line. He would say, down and back, and he'd blow the whistle. And we'd run, and, and, and then he'd say, again. And down and back we'd run. And then he'd say, again. again. And down and back. And, and I remember it seemed like this is all basketball was. It was just running. And this very first practice, uh, he weeded the, those, uh, those group of boys down to about 15. I remember some of my, my best friends, my, my neighbor uh, buddies that I used to play with, I was excited. Hey, we were going to be on the same team. And here they were. One, one of my friends was even coughing up blood. He was so, he, what, I think he had a cold or something. You maybe can't do that in today's sports world, I would imagine. But um, it, was, it was a little bit cutthroat at the time. Uh, don't worry, he recovered. He was fine. But um, yeah, th- th- that became kind of a theme for this coach. And I remember one of the things that he taught us, and this has kind of stuck with me, that as we were playing um, defense against the offense, he would say that the very best defense is a strong... Oh, you know the guy. You heard it too, right? Yeah. Yeah, the very best defense that you can have is by having a strong offense. And uh, what, what we were being trained, and all of that running and all that cardio, was so that when the other team brought the, brought the ball down the court and they shot whether they made it or not, our job was to play what he called transition ball. Because we had to get that ball right back. And if you tacked again right quick before the defense had time to set up, you would forever keep them on your, your heels. If you focused on a defense where you were just always focused on defense and you weren't putting that strong offense out there, you were giving them time to set up. And so I remember that. He said the very best defense is a strong offense. I think that theme plays true for us in our struggle against sin in our world today, especially when it comes to this subject of generational sin. Uh, We need to be the kind of people who understand that the devil has a scheme you understand that? The devil has a scheme. He's not rolling dice with you. He actually has a strategy against you. Do you think it's wise for you to give him time to set up his defense against you and his attack? Not at all. We, we need to be the kind of people who turn right around and actually have an offensive stance for grounding ourselves against his scheme, against his attack. And you may think you need to do it once, but what's the coach going to say? Do it. Do it again. And then after you've done it again, do it what? Again. 
Do it again. And, and this needs to be the attitude that we have. We, we have over the last, um, this is like week nine, I think, in our series on the final generation. And I have not, uh, I haven't brought any statistics back as I did the first uh, three or four Sundays. There, there are plenty. And I, I, I think it would be wise for us to look again at that because I don't, I don't want you to get um, tired of seeing the same artwork on the bulletin. Like, are we still doing the same study? Look, we might just only do this from now on. Because I'm not sure there's actually anything more important for us to focus on than what we are passing on. We have to take this seriously. And in the last three Sundays, I've looked at it specific to the subject of generational sin. And so I've entitled this just part three of generational strongholds that we're, we're to continue to walk through and give our attention. Uh, that we can be those in a, in a church, in a spiritual setting that have a good offense. And part of that is by needing the continual reminder of what God has done for you. That when the lies come to you, uh, when the sins come knocking on the, the door of your heart, when your flesh rears its ugly head again to, to squelch the work of the Spirit, that you will have so patterned your cardio as a transition game to take it right back to them. Uh, in, in the book of Ephesians, and this is, this is not my text for this morning, Paul says that you need to put on the armor of God. He puts us at the very end of his letter. You need to put on your armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Remember, there's a battle that's going on. There's a war that's going on, which is why we need weapons against that. The last two Sundays have been defensive. I don't know if you, you realize that, but, but we, what we were talking about the last two previous uh, Sundays in regards to generational strongholds was the way that we can we can be defensive against the weapons that come against us by understanding that we belong to a new lineage. You remember that you you have you have an outward change that you belong to a new family and you have the Spirit of God living in you as well. And uh, and then last week that we would if you can remember take captive those thoughts. Do you, do you remember that command that Paul gives that that arguments lead to thoughts, and thoughts lead to actions. Do you remember the, the, the picture we had of the, the iceberg, right? The sin that shows up in your life is really only the product of a process that's been happening. And so if you want to protect against that, defensively, you need to take captive those thoughts. Well, today we're switching the game. Today is offensive training. You guys ready to run some laps this morning? I didn't, that didn't sound very exciting. Are you ready to run some laps? Come on, who's ready? Okay, all right. So let me end review. I just want to show you again uh, four different categories for generational sin. Uh, predisposition that comes genetically through the inheritance that we get from our parents and grandparents. Uh, consequential sins, the, the type that some of us are continuing to pay for, even though you're forgiven like David was, there were still consequences that came from it. Learned, uh, this is monkey see, monkey do, right? The examples that you saw from mom and dad, uh, some of those get passed on. And inherited sin. Uh, there's a verse that I said we're taking seriously, and it's Exodus 20. We heard it already. I just want to remind you of it. Uh, it said, you shall not bow down to them, worship them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, punishing the children. For the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Well, today, we're going to pay attention to the rest of this verse. I think some of you might have been saying, well, what about the good part? You've, you've missed, you skipped over the good part, Pastor. Today's the good part, right? Because what's the promise of God? But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Ah, offense right here. Right? This is the offensive side of things. 
We, we need to make sure that we're not only taking seriously God's word when he says that the sins we allow to continue will be propagated and in such be a punishment unto the children. It's his word and God keeps his word. But he also has a promise in here for when we turn that game around and show our love and devotion to God. For his promise is not just extended to the third and the fourth generation, but to how many? Thousand generations. Now you answer this. Which of those is a better return on your investment? Three or four or a thousand? Yeah, you, you and I will do very well to begin to pattern a transition game in our lives that spiritually we would have activities in our home, legacies in our home, patterns of behavior that show our love to God because God has promised that that will be passed down as well. So I think that in many ways, uh, answers uh, these three of generational strongholds. They can be strongholds for Christ against the work of the evil one. So in the same way that a predisposition could be a, a, a sinful one, I want to say you could have a, a generational predisposition to honor God as well, a generational consequence as well. Um, I, I won't call out any names, but it wouldn't be too hard for you to, uh, to name some of the folks in our church who for years have brought their children to church. And here today, their children are in church and their grandchildren are in church. And that's the kind of consequence that flows from that obedience that will be extended to a thousand. And then even learned examples that as we pattern how we behave uh, as parents and grandparents, guess who's watching our kids are. The other day, um, the school uh, was let out uh, Friday in Kingsford. And so I was watching the kids at home, which means we go to McDonald's. That's what that means. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sitting there at McDonald's uh, with my son. And he, he says, Dad, I remember, remember the sermon that you told? That, and he started to tell me about it. And to be honest, I forgot this. I, I didn't remember it at all. But I got a little bit nervous. He's listening. He's listening. Church, they're listening. Your children and your grandchildren, they're listening and they're watching. And so we, we can have a positive influence. Uh, we're we're going to continue, I believe, two more Sundays on this final generation theme. But today's going to end uh, the generational stronghold theme. I want you to be equipped to know how to defend, but I also want you to be equipped to know how to go on the offensive. To that end, we're going to be in Psalm 78. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, uh, please take them out. Turn with me there. Uh, Psalm 78, we're going to read just the first eight verses. It is a beautiful psalm that has a message for the people of God, almost as a history lesson. And uh, we, we won't be reading through the whole thing, but if I could give a homework assignment, it would be when you, when you get a chance, maybe tonight or, or just a quiet moment in your day, would you finish this psalm? Would you read through all of it? We're, we're going to touch a few of the places through it, but pretty much we're just going to focus on verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, please follow along as I read. Psalm 78. O oh my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from old. What we've heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach 
their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Okay, Uh, this being our passage, I want to dive right into some primary observations of this text. Uh, They'll come in as a, a kind of a conclusion statement, but the first is this, that a proper offensive strategy in the church means we must learn from our past. We must be willing to learn from our past, both the mistakes that we've made and the successes that we've had. Uh, I want to say that's probably one of the most overlooked things in people's lives. How quick are you to remember your failures? Anybody? I don't know. I, I'm trying to forget mine for the most part if I could. Sometimes they stick with you, but if they do, they need to stick with you in the way that you would learn from them. Uh, it was when I, I got to uh, the varsity team my senior year playing ball that we made it in our uh, tournament down in Wisconsin to the, to the last eight teams. So it was the sectional semifinals is what, is what it was called. If we won that game, we'd go to the finals. If we won that game, we'd go to the state championship. So we were, we were just two games away from a, a state game, which, which for us was, would be incredible. And we were playing, I remember, we went downstate to the school that was much larger, and their gymnasium was much larger. And unfortunately, uh, I saw something. Uh, I, was the, I was the starting point guard, and I saw something I'd never seen before any of our uh, weak division schools play, and that was something called a half-court trap. Now, if you're as unskilled as I am with the basketball, a half-court trap is a very effective way of ruining your offense. And I remember in that game, um, just, I think I set the record for the most number of turnovers. So I got some record at school, right? <laughs> Probably not the one you should have. Um, but uh, the coach took me out not very long and never told me how to, how to fix that. Never told me how to face it. Uh, uh, the, the team would, would trap us. I'd get trapped. I'd make a bad pass. The ball would be turned over again and again and again. Never changing the plan. I go to the bench looking at my coach like, give us a new plan because this is not working. But there was no learning. There was no learning from our past. Yeah, we lost that game and folks didn't, and my teammates didn't think too highly of me, but you know, I did the best I could. But do you see the importance here of learning from your past? We have to make sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes because if you don't learn from them, you will just pass those on. Uh, In Romans 15, this is what Paul says. He says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement, they may provide hope. Uh, Did you you catch the passage uh, that Tom read for us? If you you wouldn't mind holding your spot here in in, uh, Psalms, turn back again to 1 Corinthians 10. The, The passage in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 10, Paul is showing a history lesson of the Israelite people. But he does it for a very specific reason that I'd like to make sure I point out to you. And we didn't actually read verse 11, so I'm going to have us focus there as well. But 1 Corinthians 10, everybody there with me? Say amen if you're there. Okay, here we go. In verse 6, all of these things, look what it says. Now these things occurred 
as what? Yes. Understand this. The Bible is not just a bunch of stories about God, just stories. They are written and recorded to teach you as examples for you to pay attention to. Paul says they're occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. If you jump to verse 11, you'll see again repeated. These things happened to them as examples. And they were written down as, what's it say? As a, as a warning to us on whom the fulfillment of ages has come. We, n- number one here is we need to make sure that if we're going to have a proper offensive strategy uh, that we're learning from our past. Everybody with me on that? Seems obvious, right? But Psalm 78 says, oh, my people, you can turn back to Psalms now. Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouths in parables. I will utter Hidden things, things from old. The psalmist is beginning his song by entreating the people to pay attention because we need to learn from where we've been. And many of us need to change our trajectories, change our approach. So you don't be like me getting caught at half court every time getting stripped from the ball. We got to make sure we know how to make the adjustments by learning from our past. Number two is this. An offensive strategy means we must teach our children. Uh, it almost feels uh, a little bit redundant in the text to see, um, but you'll, you'll recognize it in verse 4. He says, we won't hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation. Uh, if you fast forward uh, into the end of verse 5, after he says he decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, he commanded our forefathers to do what to the kids? Teach. The Bible says teach, yeah, to teach our children so that the next generation would know them. Uh, This is crucial. We need to make sure as part of an offensive strategy in your homes, in our church, that we are teaching our children not just the stories, but how the stories come down to us as examples and as warnings. I'm not sure if you're really catching the difference on this. Um, At our Bible study this past week, we were talking about a recent um, uh, YouTube personality, uh, personalities that have left the faith. I believe this will be incredibly harmful to your children and your grandchildren. As they look to the media and that kind of entertainment as the example for them, I believe there will be much harm that will come from that. But you have a preventative measure in that you will not just allow them to be influenced by media, but you will be sharing with them the story of God's redemption, that they will be hearing it as an example for them. Use those who have walked away from the faith as warnings to say, be very careful where you set your heart. Because if your heart is set in the wrong place, you may know a lot about God. Right here, you may know a lot up in your head, but your heart is going to be vacant from him. I want to say I've been um, super grateful for uh, our Lenten devotional. Uh, Did you guys read Kayla's yesterday or Jen's the, the day before? When it comes to to teaching our children, the very first place is by sharing our own story. That's the first thing you share with them. Share with your children your own journey of coming to faith, that they would understand it wasn't all perfect. Anybody in here perfect? Anybody get the perfect story? No, but those those, um, difficulties, those hills and the valleys are those things to pass on to your children that they would know. Mom and dad aren't perfect. Grandma and grandpa aren't perfect. But they have had to work and wade and rely on the grace of God in their lives. 
I think, um, I think from Kayla's um, uh, devotional yesterday, how she was really, even much like my own story, buying into the American dream. If you read that, it's a little bit of review from you from yesterday. But uh, she and her heart was captured by all those things that the world says that you need to attain until she met Jesus. And then her love's changed. And from Jen's story, how, how Jen, and this really convicted me. Um, I asked her if I could share a little bit too this morning on it. But um, she, she says that she went to church. She knew about God here. But there was still an emptiness in her heart here. Now, at this stage in her life, having come through some difficulties to recognize God's mercy to her in a way that she wouldn't have even understood as a child in Sunday school, she now has a story to pass on to who? To pass on to her kids and help them to know. Because if you're going to be offensive in this attempt, you need to teach your kids. And it begins by sharing with them your own story in an honest and a true fashion. Uh, secondly, it, it's sharing the message of God's grace. So after you share with them how God is true and real in your life, you need to go back to his story of redemption that unfolds through the scriptures. And that's really what Psalm 78 is all about. Psalm 78 is uh, Asaph's recounting of all of the ways in which the people of God deserved judgment. But what did they receive? Mercy and grace. That's right. They, they deserved wrath. And the text will say God's anger burned over them and with them. Even times where he's disciplining them and punishing them. But ultimately, he's extending mercy and he's keeping true to his promise. We need to make sure that we're not just sharing the stories of um, all the animals on the ark. And um, I'm trying to think of all the other little fairy tale stories, right? Jonah swallowed by the whale. Right? You, you can think about Daniel thrown into the lines. You, if all we're doing is sharing kind of the happy stories, you're missing the point of God's redemption. You're missing the point of God's mercy and his grace. That is the necessary component of those stories. It was uh, Phil Vischer uh, who started the, uh, the show VeggieTales. You guys know about VeggieTales? I was reading an article uh, just last night. Uh, Penny reminded me of this at our Bible study that early on uh, he started out with the desire to share in a way that was receptive for kids the story of God's redemption. But do you know how it goes when you get caught up in Hollywood? Pretty soon that story loses some of that potency because it's not very popular to hear about sin and the need for mercy. And Veggie Tales kind of became just another cartoon on TV. Uh, I even know some parents, as they were discerning parents watching, just thinking, what's. What happened to this show? It's all about silly songs now, <laughs> which is kind of fun too, but it's not the point, right? If that's all it is, then put your kids in front of Garfield or Bugs Bunny, and it's going to do about the same thing. Uh, Phil, the creator, realized this, and in God's mercy, he lost his job with that, but the Lord, in him recovering the story of his journey to find redemption and to see God's mercy, he started another ministry. And again, now reframing how we share the message of God's truth. It's not about entertainment. We've got to make sure we get the message right. Uh, I want to point this out to you in a few places. Look with me in your Bible. Psalm 78, verse 11. Look at what happened to the people of God. They forgot what God had done. Look at verse 18, or 17 and 18. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test. Verse 22, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Verse 32, 
In spite of all this, they kept on what? Kept on sinning. Uh, Verse 37, their hearts were not loyal to to him. Verse 41, again and again, they put God to the test. Uh, Look at verse 56. But they put God to the, what's it say? To the test. And they rebelled against the Most High. Are are you seeing a pattern? Do you ever see the same thing in your own life? How many times do you need forgiveness? Two or three, Pastor. That's it. Two or three. Every, every day. Every day because we see when sin shows up, we don't do what the world does and just put a coat of paint over and say, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We say about sin what God says about sin. We don't want it in our lives. We would turn from it. We would repent of it. And we would once more need God's mercy and forgiveness. So I want to show you one more verse. Verse 38. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities. He did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. You, you need to just put the word me at the, after that. Because that's how God treats you. And so when it comes to teaching our children, first, you share your own story. This is the story of God's mercy in my life. And then you turn again to his story of redemption that's found in God's word. And you make sure you characterize it with the proper message to show that God is gracious. And that's what the stories in the Bible are handed down as examples and as warnings to us. Okay, number three, when it comes to teaching them, you must share with them Jesus. Uh, This shows up in Psalm 78 as well. Two places where I think it leaps off the page. Right at the very beginning in verse 1 and 2, he says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables and utter hidden things, things of old. Let me ask you the question. Who else was it that taught with parables? Yeah, we have a really fantastic account in Matthew's gospel where the disciples come to him and they say, "Uh, Jesus, why do you teach in parables? I can only imagine Jesus thinking, because I read the Bible. (laughs) Because I know that's how God speaks to us. He helps us to understand through these stories that aren't just entertainment. Parables have a meaning behind them. And so if we're really going to share and teach our children, you have to share with them Jesus. Jesus is the one who teaches with parables. One other place where it leaps off the page, and it's at the end of the psalm. So turn, turn to the end of Psalm 78, and you'll see in verse 67, starting in 67, then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be a shepherd of his people, Jacob, and of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them. Two things I see here. Number one, um, do you know who Jesus is the descendant of? David. That's right. When you see God's promise here to say, all the others of my people have rejected me, but I'm going to choose David. And I will be true to my promise. God's promise is to say that there will come one from this line who will be a descendant of David. And he will be the one to crush the head of the serpent. 
So if you're going to look at Psalm 78, you can't share it without seeing the fulfillment of God's promise to uphold David. The second way that I see it here is that the tribe that uh, he's going to lift up is not Ephraim anymore, but now Judah. Do you know what Jesus is called? The Lion of Judah. And David, what was David's profession before he was king? Do you remember? He was a, yeah, watching over the sheep. And Jesus is called the Lamb who was slain. And so here in this little passage, you have both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb who was slain in in a heartbeat of a verse right next to one another. So I I just want to show you from the text that when it comes to teaching our children, if we're going to obey God's word properly, three ways. Did everybody catch this? Starts where? Starts with your own story and then move to the entire story of God's redemptive plan for his people. And then lastly, make sure that we recognize and share with them the person who we place our faith in as Jesus Christ. All right. A couple more. Number three is this an offensive strategy's purpose is legacy. The, the offensive strategy that we're trying to have here, that transition game means what we're really aiming for is a legacy. I want you to look again at the beginning of the psalm in verse 6. Look at the hope here of the psalmist. He says, So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. Does he stop there? No. No, look what he says next. And they in turn would what? Would tell their children. How cool is that? I remember, and I've said this, I'll repeat it again. Um, uh, a, a pastor friend of mine said that when you speak to your children, you're whispering in the ear of who? Your grandchildren. Your grandchildren. That's right. That, that God's promise that we read already in Exodus was that we would have this passing down, not to three or four generations, but to thousands of generations. And that when we do this offensive stance to build these legacies in our home, what you are doing is you're setting them up for a successful future, both with predispositions, consequences, and learned behaviors for how we can make sure that we're not only playing defense against the evil one, but also offensively having a strategy. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 uh, records this, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said, Assemble the people before me to hear the word so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land. And they may teach them to their children. Um, It's not just, (laughs) I don't know how many of you saw uh, Lane and Chelsea walking in this this morning uh, carrying a baby, baby disaster. Right? And I, I, I mentioned to somebody, I said, boy, I'm glad those days are over. Right? You know, finding a changing table, scrambling for wipes and diapers. Right? Uh, hold on, time out here. Just because you think that part of parenting is over, because you don't have them in your home, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle, I'm talking to you right now. The Bible says it's a legacy. You pass it on to your children and to their children. Uh, this is something that we must take seriously. If we're going to make sure that last generation doesn't become the final generation, an offensive strategy means that we are preparing a way in a a way that's helpful for our kids. Um, When I, uh, I think there's a couple summers ago, we were blazing a trail uh, in in my parents' (laughs) property with uh, my kids following me. And as I was walking down the path, there kept, uh, (laughs) 
these branches that sit about this height. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I remember a kid following my dad and trying to step where he stepped and a branch would get bent and then it would snap back and hit me right in the nose. That ever happened to anybody walking through the woods, right? So here I am walking through the woods and I'm catching these branches and I'm a little bit slow going. They're having to wait for me because I'm breaking them off. Every time I came to one, I would, I'd break the branch off so it wouldn't do what? So it wouldn't smack those coming behind me. That's the same thing we're talking about here. The the legacy that we will leave for our kids, because that's the goal. I'm not making this up. Psalm 78, that they in turn would tell their children. Uh, This means the effort of us trying to weed out those things and start creating predispositions, consequences, and learned behaviors that they would follow in a godly way. Fourthly and lastly, offensive strategies goal. This is very crucial. The goal is trusting in God. It's trusting in Jesus. I'll make sure that we're clear on this. It's not knowing more information. Uh, There were faithful Christians long before they had the resources and tools available to us today. They they didn't need to be uh, professional exegetes of God's word. They needed to make sure they knew the difference by receiving the faith properly handed down that they would not fall into error. But the simplicity of the message is one that must not be limited to intellectual knowledge. The simplicity of the message must make it to their hearts that they would learn to trust. If you look into verse 7, you will see this in Psalm 78. This is the the then, then they would, what's it say? They put their trust in God. Uh, a couple of ways that I see this happening. Uh, number one, by remembering and by obeying. By remembering and by obeying. Uh, you have, if you look to verse uh, 9 uh, in Psalm 78, the men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. Why in verse 11? Do you see it? They forgot what he had done. Now, you got to put yourself in that moment. Ephraim here. Uh, in the time of the conquest, conquest of the land, it wasn't Judah that was the strong tribe. It was Ephraim. Ephraim had the warrior tribe. And there, on the eve of battle, they have, with bows in hand, ready to fight, boots quaking. Because what happened? Did, did, they, did they lose their arrows? Is that what happened? Did they drop their shields? Is that what happened? No, what did they do? They forgot that it's not them who fights the battle. It's God who fights the battle for them. Do you remember what God has done in the past? Do you remember what he did? You know, you know what? I could take all of your afternoon and tell you story after story of God's faithfulness in my life. I could tell you stories of, of seeing God's providence through a car accident when I was young through a a trouble that I got into when I was in college and seeing God's mercy and his hand of grace show up to me. Uh, I could share with you of how uh, I struggled with abandonment on the mission field and saw God powerfully come to my aid. Do you know what I do? If I don't remind myself of those things, do you know what will happen? I will forget. And here's what will happen. In my future and in your future are moments of difficulty. 
they're, they're ahead of you. I hate to ruin your day today, right? Nice sunny day. But you have moments in your future, days, weeks, months, years from now, where trial is going to come your way. You may have the bow in hand. You may have your shield. But if you forget what God has done, you're going to be quaking in your boots. Because you will not have put your trust in the one who comes to your aid, who is your deliverer. You will have placed your trust somewhere else. And so the strategy is putting your trust in God. To do that, we must focus on remembering. One other verse I want you to see, and this is verse 42. Um, you could start in, in 41. Again and again, they put God to the text, test. They, they vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power on the day he re- redeemed them from the oppressor. The day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders. I know you have a story in your life. You need to remember what those are. Catalog what those are. Make those um, like an Ebenezer stone that you would erect, that you would forever see it and be reminded of God's faithfulness so that when you get the the letter in the mail, the phone call, whatever that might be, that's going to just rock your world. You say, God's got me. God's got me. Do you know what the majority of people would do? Oh man, oh, what are we going to do? But for the Christian who remembers, they won't have a hesitate or a heartbeat to say, it may be tough, but guess who is my deliverer? And he had me in the past. He had his people in the past. He has saved me by the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. He will deliver me again. Because the goal is not learning more about God, but what? Placing your trust in God. Um, I know uh, it was this past summer, we were going for a walk in Iron Mountain, and they have this big, you, you guys know where the deer are? If you've ever been there, the deer park, city city park, right? Um, they have this big rock over there, and uh, Micah jumped right up on it. And of course, once Micah's up on it, who else wants to climb up on it? Say so he wants to climb up on it, right? And so it's probably about eye level with me, this this rock that they're climbing on, and they're pretending like they're rocky up there. Yeah! And I say, all right, time to go. And Micah just leaps off because he's a ninja, right? But Sadie, uh, she, she's going to jump to me. Now, can I catch a five-year-old? Yes. yes. Look at these muscles. I mean, come on, right? Look at this. I can catch her, no problem. But she's up there looking at me. And instead of looking at the strength of her dad, she starts looking at the height of the distance. And instead of leaping into the air so that I would catch her with all the love and strength that I have, she does one of these. <laughs> now, how's that make me feel? I'm like, come on, Sadie, just jump. And I, she, it's happened before, right? But this is what it's like. This is the testing that happens in your life. You don't need to trust until life gets hard. When life is easy, there's no need to trust. When you don't see the depth from which you can fall, you and I are, yeah. It's awesome. But as soon as that moment comes, you will need to trust God once more. And you and I will fall flat on our faces and fail unless we remember. Unless we remember what he's done in the past. All right. And lastly, the way that we can focus on uh, trusting is by focusing on uh, loyal hearts and faithful spirits. Uh, Many of those in Israel did not continue to trust God. If you look in verse 8 again, the failure of remembering will lead to, here it is in verse 8, they would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal, whose hearts were not loyal, and whose spirits were not faithful. I, I want to uh, 
point out to you one, one last passage here before our application in the text of uh, Psalm 78. If you look with me in verse 34, whenever God slew them, they would seek him. Uh, there's a lot more I'd like to say on that. That's going to be next week's sermon is going to be on discipline and how God disciplines those he loves. So here, when God's uh, anger got felt by his people, what did they do? Looking at verse 34, they would, they would seek him. They would turn again. Isn't that true in our lives? When do you pray the most? When life's good or when life's hard? Yeah, yeah. When, when God allows difficulty to come into our life, he does so that we would remember that we need him, that we would be on our knees. So here we see the same thing happening. Watch what happens, though. They would eagerly turn to him again. Verse 35. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Every now and then, um, our kids will be fighting in the car, fighting with each other, right? Someone will do something, and I'll do my best to, to be the judge, and I'll be like, tell, tell, tell her you're sorry. And this is what I hear. Sorry. <laughs> now, you tell him that, that you're sorry. Sorry. Now, are those genuine? Now, none of you are guilty of that, right? We're never guilty of that. We never do that, right? That's exactly what we see happening here, right? God comes with chastisement. And the people of God, they turn again. Sorry, I'm honoring you with my lips, but where's my heart? My heart's not in it at all. And so as a parent, I say, say it like you mean it. And it doesn't really work any better. But you, you get the point. You get the problem here, right? It, it's not a matter of going to church. It's not a matter of singing a song. It's all a matter of trusting in him. And the way that happens is with a loyalty in our hearts and a faithfulness to God. Okay. Everybody with me? Y'all, y'all get these points here? Uh, offensive strategy is you learn from your past. You must teach your children starting with your life, the story of redemption, and then in Jesus. The strategy means producing a legacy. Uh, not to the third or fourth generation, but to a thousand generations. And lastly, the goal being that our kids and our grandkids, that they would they'd put their trust in God. Not just learn more about him, but that they would learn to trust him. Here, here's my challenge to you. Now, I give, I give application every Sunday. I'm guessing the most of you don't always do it. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not the judge. You answer to the judge yourself, right? I want to challenge you on this one now. Everybody ready? This is one where I want to be serious. Here we go. Firstly, let me ask you the question. What is your story of God's mercy? What, is, what in your story of your life, your faith journey, shows God's just intervention to help you? How has God changed your life? If I gave everybody five minutes, could you, could you flip your sermon notes over and write something down? Do you have something if you don't have something, uh, I, I, I encourage you to come talk to me. Let's look in his word because God has met you somewhere in this journey of life, how he has changed you. And so if you've got that, if you've got part of the story, here's my next challenge. Tell it to your children. I, I had you on number one, right? I'm not sure I got you on number two, though. That's a little bit harder now to, to really be honest and say, no, I, I will tell of God's wondrous deeds. I will tell the wondrous story of redemption 
in my life to my children. And then once you tell them once, right? This is, this is offense now, church. So get back on the line, tell them again, and then tell them again. Let's pray.